phone, we can go ahead and get started. Let's go. All right. So, hey, everybody. My name is Marcus Avery, and I'm the founder of Challenge Company, and I want to welcome you to the Food for Thought series. And so this is basically a series that connects you with entrepreneurs who are revolutionizing the food and beverage industry. And so I think whether you're a food enthusiast or looking to start your own business, you'll definitely be able to take something from these conversations that we have here today. And today's topic is the reclamation of Black food narratives. And joining me today is a guest that knows this topic all too well. So I want you all to give a warm welcome to Drumroll Chef Rock. Hey, David. Appreciate that. Thank you. I'm good. Good to be here, bro. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no problem. So I think before we get into like the core discussion, I at least want to familiarize people with, um, you know, kind of like your early career, what you've been able to accomplish in quite some time. I mean, from being an author to a podcaster, winning season three of Hell's Kitchen, and even, of course, a restauranteur. Uh, can you tell us about where that starting point was for you? Yeah, well, um, I started, you know, I loved eating, right, when I was growing up. Obviously, I loved to cook. It was more of a, a form of entertainment for me. Um, you know, I had two, I have two older sisters, and, you know, when I was uh, preteen, they had um, uh, teenage uh, friends that would encourage me to make things like noodles and scrambled eggs and, you know, little, little uh, struggle meals, but uh, they appreciated them. And as any uh, young preteen would know, um, uh, the, you know, adoration from 16-year-old, for me, girls, was uh, was like the big deal. So that kind of pushed me in the right direction. My, my grandmother and mother, uh, phenomenal cooks, and uh, it was in the eighth grade at GW uh, Middle School in Alexandria, Virginia, where I'm from, where uh, I took home ec. And my lovely teacher, Mrs. Hill, uh, guided me through this lasagna. And um, I, I couldn't believe that I made something that was really fancy to me. <laughs> I had made something that, that, that um, sort of interesting. And uh, it was at that point where I went down that, that was sort of a breadcrumb for me. Like, hey, I can really um, do this as a profession. Took culinary arts in high school, where I met one of my mentors, Chef John Dorney, who was the um, this, uh, like he had the Chef Boyardee mustache, just sort of hefty white dude. And uh, he really became like a, a mentor uh, to me and, and helped guide me in the direction of culinary arts and, um, you know, pursuing it as a career. So, um, yeah, so that, that was kind of the start. And uh, then the rest is kind of history, as they say. Okay. And so I guess with that, it's kind of safe to say that you make a mean lasagna now. <laughs> Listen, listen, one of my closest friends is, uh, is, is Italian, and uh, I done picked up some tips along the way, so, uh, so soon to come. I do, I do make a nice little lasagna. Got it. So as far as we get to Hell's Kitchen, so one, what even led you to compete on Hell's Kitchen? Yeah, well, um, so it was 06, 07, and I was uh, executive chef at B. Smith's in Union Station, and uh, for those that, that don't know, B. Smith was the lifestyle maven, restaurateur, creator. She was a former model. Um, and uh, I was working for her in her uh, East, uh, her beautiful restaurant in Union Station. I was the executive chef. I've been with the company about eight years. And I'm uh, just seeking for something bigger. I'm a very big thinker. And 06, 07 was when reality TV 
was pop, you know, was on the verge of popping, and then it was and it was popping as well. Um, so I, I said, "Why the hell not? Let's 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 do something big." So I applied to all of the shows, you know, uh, Top Chef or a couple of those weren't casting, I believe, Food Network, Next Star, I think. But uh, I just wanted to do uh, make a big splash with my career, and Hell's Kitchen was casting, and um, you know, uh, I'm not really one to be. I used to think I wanted to be famous. I don't really want to be famous, <laughs> uh, but I do appreciate what what um, you know larger platforms can do for one's career, one mess, one's message. So uh, that's what it was internally for me. It's like, yo, I want to get to the next level. Here's this thing. Uh, let's do. It. And it was, you know, it was Gordon Ramsay. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, he's, he still is that guy. You know, right. twenty years later, fifteen years later, he's that guy. So. I just wanted to do something big and uh, and obviously getting on the show, I wanted to win, so yeah. Yeah, so then I have to <laughs> ask candidly, did, I'm assuming you watched the previous two seasons. Um, I didn't watch them front to back, but I, I think I know, you know, some of, the, some of the twists and turns. Okay, so I'm pretty sure just knowing even a little bit, you had some expectations. So did working with Chef Gordon Ramsay, did it match your expectations? Oh, oh, the previous two, previous to mine. Oh, yeah, correct. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. I thought you meant the last two. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch those in full, but I did. You know, I did watch some, and it was still really fresh, right? F season one was different than season two, and then season three changed too. It was a long time ago in, in this day and age, right? It's 15 years ago, and uh, 16 and and um, and se 17 respectively to those seasons. But I did watch, and I knew at that time, like, Hell's Kitchen was crazy. It still is crazy, but he was crazy. And, you know, we didn't have social media in the way that we do now. And uh, so I knew that it was going to be, he was going to be, you know, really, really tough. And um, so that was my expectation. It's going to be the hardest thing I ever did. Hmm. Got you. So as a black chef, or really just a chef in general, uh, what did winning season three mean to you? Um, well, I, I can answer that both ways, I believe. So, um, you know, I, I think as a as a chef in general, it, it you know it propelled my career uh, to to a whole nother level. It gave me a launch pad and a springboard, whatever metaphor um, that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Right? It opened me up to a new audience. It opened me up to television, right? This is big time network TV. So uh, my relationships and my experience, it really opened my world up. Um, and obviously that show is still in syndication. I get DMs and emails from all around the world from 12 year old, you know, aspiring chefs, tenure, like people still um, uh, really resonate with my season and that show. So it's, it continues to provide inspiration uh, and also motivation for folks. And quite frankly, it helps um, my brand, right? Uh, I, I would never be able to, a young man reached me from Jordan the other day or not too long ago. And you know, what, what am I doing that's gonna reach a, a young kid in Jordan? Mm -hmm. um, Hell's Kitchen is in Jordan, right? So um, as a black chef, it, it, it did that. And plus, you know, it allowed me, I don't know if I had the sort of the, the the wherewithal at the time, well, this was my intention, but you know, I put, I put everything that I had on display, 
right? I didn't, I wasn't aware of the cameras most of the time. I, I lost myself in the moment and I was, I was truly myself and I was, I was my black self. And I think that I showed people that you can, you can win and, and achieve, uh, uh, you know, success uh, by being authentic and you, you don't have to necessarily uh, conform in a way to where you become unrecognizable, right? Don't, don't, you know, you do have to change in any culture you enter in. And Chef Ramsey, one of the things he would say to us is, your food, my standards, right? Your food, my standards. He would constantly say that when we made our own menus, whether it be in a challenge or, you know, in my case, in the finale. So yeah, I know you run at a restaurant and it's your night to shine, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, you're going to do fried chicken, you're going to do crab cakes, but, you know, the way we're going to fabricate or the way we're going to execute on the, on, the, on the line tonight is going to be up to my standards. It's not going to be the way that you may do it at your restaurant back home. So the reason why I bring that example up is um, it, it pushed me, right? Uh, he pushed me to, I was still authentic in the flavors, right? I did, I did milk and cookies, you know? I did chocolate chip and cookies, you know, with a milkshake, right? That was a, a down-home dessert, but we had to, as they say, we had to elevate it or change the execution, add different ingredients. Um, so it was my first sort of big foray into, I can still represent my grandmama, my mama, uh, but, um, and, and still be my true self, uh, but with his or, you know, these higher dining standards. Got it. So I think that's a perfect segue into when you say you wanted to represent your lineage. Um, now, if we fast forward to Queen Mother's, uh, your, your um, latest restaurant, what's the story behind that, the, the name and the concept? Yeah, so in short, Queen Mother's is, you know, I was thinking about the name and what do I name a fried chicken sandwich restaurant? You know, I created the restaurant in spring of 2020. Um, so right in the middle of pandemic, uh, right after well, summer, George Floyd happened. Um, and so I, like myself, had all of these things that were stirring up inside of me. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't about making a statement, but I said, hey, if I'm going to do this and it's going to be around forever, this is not no you know, gimmick for me. Um, what can what 100 years from now, just like Aunt Mama stood up. Uh, 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 what's the name? Uncle Ben stood up, you know, KFC's with the slave master uh, icon. What's his name? Uh, Colonel Sanders looking like a slave master. That's still standing the test of time. What is the message? What restaurant, when it's around 50, 100 years from now, what is, what's going to be your statement when I'm dead and gone? And I said, I wanted to put, you know, black women right? Black chefs always, or chefs in general, talk about their mom and their grandma all the time, who their inspiration was. But many times we don't see it in their brains. We don't see it, right. you know what I'm saying? We, you know, I don't know who they pay or whatever, who we pay, I should say. But uh, I said, right, you know, be, be true to what you, what you, what you have inside. So, uh, you know, I started asking myself, well, how can I honor the creator of this thing? Much of our culture, food culture, comes from the black woman, but definitely this fried chicken, and so my mother, that's the long way around. My mother's name is Mother. Everybody in my neighborhood calls her Mother, uh, even beyond. A lot of my friends didn't even know her name uh, till we were older. They said, we just thought her name was Mother. Uh, and, and she's a queen. So it's like, no matter how you come, you know, you, the fact that you were born makes you a queen. Like, they, you don't need to be a civil rights leader or a model or the, all of those sisters are great. 
but um, you, I want everyone who walks in there, particularly women, to see that we, we honor you, um, and, and you, you know, you're a queen and essentially uh, a queen mother like like ours. So she's my queen mother. She's the highest of the high. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling now, but I, I got a lot to say about the brand. So no, 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 I like that. Put your mother up there on the hierarchy. Like yeah. that, that's how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> so that's you yeah. know, much respect for that. Yeah. And I know, again, as, I, as some of you might know, just based on my social media, I came through an ADAC Queen Mother this past weekend. And I have to say, because my next question is, like, what makes your chicken different from any other, you know, like, chicken restaurant? But, I mean, I know it was just, like, really, really good. Like, yeah. like that yeah, was, yeah. like, good moist i know a lot of people don't like that word <laughs> but it was just it was everything seasoned well I, yeah i just yeah I, I really enjoyed the whole experience of it all and i know it was the duck fat <laughs> like i know that's like one of your key things and it really makes a big difference so yeah. and i probably just revealed it but yeah just tell us what what makes it so different yeah well i appreciate that man listen you can talk about the chicken sandwich as long as you like <laughs> i'll tap i'll mute my button you know what i mean um Listen, I, you know, I see people talking about the, the bread. Um, it, it's so many things, and, and it's something I want to make clear. I'm going to talk about the chicken, and I'll also talk about the foundation of the chicken, right? Because it's really, really the two things I believe make up the, the experience, right? So the chicken is, you know, just a smidgen away from organic, right? It, it, you know, it's the best chicken available. Uh, it comes from Maryland or, or outside of Maryland, Um so it's local to us. Uh, it is, you know, just away from organic. So it is farmed uh, humanely, responsibly. Um, it's shipped in sustainable packaging. All of the things. I mean, these chickens, uh, it's, it's, it's air chilled. And the reason why that's important, the chicken that we mostly eat, you know, when it's processed, it is dunked into, to cool it, it's dunked into water. And so this water is usually filled with chemicals Gross. so you know so it's safe right it's usually chlorine so it's like dunking it in bleach water now of course the chicken soaks some of that water up uh, and loses some of its flavor but uh, this is air chilled and it's also you know just think about millions of pieces of chicken and millions of chickens going into a big old pool of chlorinated water not to not to uh, if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse that is not uh, the most um, beautiful sight. Air chilled. Oh, no. Yeah, so these are humanely processed and all that jazz. And then we have, you know, all the ingredients a fifth grader could pronounce, right? Salt, pepper, smoked paprika from Spain, uh, sea salt from Italy. Um, it's just really wholesome. There's no preservatives, right? Some of the, the, our uh, other fried chicken friends use some things that necessarily can't pronounce. Teach us on, but we don't have that. Um, and then there's the duck fat, as you alluded to. The duck fat, baby. Oh, it's uh, the truth. It's, it's the, the truth. truth. <laughs> Very rich, nice boost of umami flavor. And uh, a bunch of other things. A local baked brioche with no preservatives from Lyon, uh, uh, Artisan Bakery out in Maryland as well. Delivered fresh every day, right? So, again, no preservatives. And, and here's, here's what that sit, sits underneath. And I want to make clear, Marcus. Because uh, I'm glad you asked this question. It's a great question. It, everyone in our company, everybody that works for Queen Mothers, uh, makes at least 15 bucks an hour, right? 
And, and, and I'll tell you why that's important. Um, because, here we go, <laughs> because I moved this restaurant. So I started in Washington, D.C., where the minimum wage was 15, and that was the law, right? And that's, it's not easy to do as a sandwich shop. It's not easy to, to do that. When I moved to Virginia, the minimum wage is or was $7.50 or $7.25. I had to ask myself, you know, you can pay people out here $12. The people make 10 bucks. You can get a dishwasher for the minimum wage. But what was important, right? I had to ask myself, what will my, what will my mother say? What will my grandmother say? Well, if, it's, if, if it takes, if you get a great employee at at least $15 an hour, five minutes away, I can see DC from, from the highway. Why would it change when I cross the bridge? Right. And I said, no, we need to pay a livable wage, right? Anybody who Sorry about that. Am I back? Yep, you're back. Sorry. Uh, so you live in this in this area. You know, the price of gas or milk or rent does not dramatically drop once you cross over the 14th Street Bridge, right? So um, if it's important to pay a livable wage in Washington, D.C., it's important to pay it over here. So everybody makes that. We use sustainable packaging. Um, uh, and, and so the foundation is we're trying to build community, honor our culture, and serve smiles. And that doesn't just mean with guests. That means that the people who made your sandwich, I believe, they're happy. And, and they're not stressing, you know, whether, like, they, we don't have to sell 600 sandwiches in order for them to make a couple of dollars to be able to go to their second or third job. There's nothing wrong with two and three jobs. I think it's all great. But we, what I'm doing with this, fried chicken is the foundation, is we got to adjust how we interact with, you know, our food and what the value is, especially these foods like fried chicken, right? Things that are culturally usually like really close to home and so-called cheap foods. Mm -hmm. What I want to do is be a part of the, the push towards let's value our, let's put great products, excellent chef execution, right? We don't have no heat lamps. Like your chicken's not sitting around. When, you, when I see your order, that's when we make it, no matter how busy we are. We don't, nothing sits around. If it, it, that, it just doesn't happen. You know, we just don't understand that concept of piling up 100 pieces of chicken or any piece. When you make it, if it's one or if it's 100, we make them all to order. So the concept is let's revalue our food, right? People ask me all the time, why is it priced that way? Well, here's everything that goes into it. A better question, my friend. Why is their food, how can they sell a $3 sandwich? That's a great question, a $6 sandwich. And then when you dig into that and see why that food is so cheap and allowed to be shipped from out of the country and allowed to sit on the shelf for such a long time and the oil lasts for such a long time, then you may question why, uh, what, what's really in your food and is it worth that? So uh, I'll step off my soapbox for, for, for a second, but uh, that's all that goes into the fried chicken sandwich at Queen Mother's. Yeah, no, and I think what you said is perfect. It goes back to that overall concept of taking care of the people that take care of you. So, i.e. your employees and just making sure that, you know, they have a space where they feel valued and they know that, you know, they can come in and do their job well and get paid a livable wage. And yeah. look, that's what we all want. Like, who knew? <laughs> like, you know, you're actually providing that. Yeah. So that's good. Um, I saw someone in the comments, I believe it was Foodie Guru, um, she asked, are y'all hiring? <laughs> <laughs>
You know what? We, we, we're going to be expanding very soon. Um, I got some, uh, so foodie guru, we, we will be uh, really soon. And here's another thing, not to plug my employment, but to plug my employment, you know, um, so 15 is the floor. So it don't matter. That's the floor. Everybody that make 15 um, and, and we and we share tips and everybody shares tips. It's one big family. So sometimes that that 15, you know, could be 19. Sometimes I've seen it 20, 21 dollars. And I, I know, you know, that's not going to make anybody rich. But again, that we got to reframe how we value the people, our food and the people that are making our food. I don't want nobody super angry in the kitchen. I don't. I want you to be happy that you're making a great wage when 400 people come in because we just went on the Today Show or something like that. I want you to be okay with that. Um, and so some, so that fluctuates. And when we deliver great service, customers, you know, uh, feel inclined to leave a tip on campus, 50 cent or a dollar. Within that adds up over the next couple of weeks. So um, it, it I, I'm trying to build it uh, to be a, a great place to work. Yeah. And hey, I again, just for me being in there this past weekend, I think you're definitely building that environment. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, look, shouts out to you for that one. And Appreciate so now, it. since we're talking about fried chicken, let's just get yep. to the core. Why is fried chicken so polarizing when it comes to black America? In your opinion? I think because black people believe the lie. So there, there was a lie um, that, well, let's, before we get to the specific fried chicken lie, mm -hmm. let's get to the black lie. So the lie that was told to us, it still is in, 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 in certain aspects, but the original lie, the original, you know, one of the big sins of this country was everything that comes from you is low, right? They, you know, our oppressors use the Bible, right, the scripture to say, to justify the interruption, to justify our kidnapping, our torture, our rape of our people, right? And, 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 and said, you can't read and you can't do all these things because you, you were unworthy. You're, you're minimal. Everything you do because it was God that did this. Everything that comes from you is garbage. And you still there? Yes. Everything that comes from us is God. Right? So you got garbage on one end, God on the other. Okay? And this is not, I'm not saying anything that's not proven. So within that, I didn't say proven. Uh, there wasn't a theory that needed debunking. It's history, right? right. It's, uh, it's so within that, it's all in there. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So within that, fried chicken is just one thing. Chicken in general, and I'll throw in another little watermelon. We actually used chicken. We were enslaved folks were allowed to keep livestock, poultry, right? I'm not a color, I want to say, I'm not a culinary historian. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm happy to be, if, if I say something wrong or people want to challenge, I'm, I'm, I'm open to that or to be corrected, but I, I, I know this much. 
So the chicken actually became a tool for us to economically empower ourselves. It was not the only thing, right? Black people would have always been, right? Created civilizations uh, for thousands of years, right? People forget that. We weren't savages as we were taught. But we, after several hundred years, it's not like we had a choice to believe it. We ended up believing all of these lies. So everything that comes from you, and of course, the people that were part of the power class believed the lie, not all of them, but believed the lie as well. It was just a part of America. What comes from black is not as good. And fried chicken became like this. I think the birth of a nation, the movie really fueled this. This chicken is savage. This, this woman who was scared of this sexually craved man, and here's what happens. And, uh, and this was filmed in the Woodrow Wilson White House, or somebody's White House. I don't know if it was Woodrow Wilson. Mm -hmm. but this is a very racist movie that was named after, uh, that was the book that inspired this movie was called The Klansman. This is the first movie screened in the White House, right? So just think about that. It was screened in the White House, and within this movie, it depicted blacks as savages. And one of the scenes has, you know, the blacks take over the town or the Congress or whatever. And they're, the, one of the guys is in there with his feet off, uh, shoes off, feet up on the table, and he's eating a chicken, a uh, turkey or chicken or something, he's chicken bone. So again, this is imagery. And this is not when, you know, movies affect us now, but imagine when there were no movies. This is a silent movie. And this was like the movie. Uh, and this was released. So this, what, what, what I'm getting at is why is this so polarizing is your question. It was a lie that if you held uh, something with a bone and ate it, right? And then there was these characters, there was caricatures, these drawings about, you know, black people and fried chicken and savages and all this jazz. And it was just beat upon. Just imagine a marketing can. All these ads we got on Instagram and Facebook, just imagine black people, you're savages. I mean, some of it says that, but, uh, you know, you, you know, if you eat chicken, you're, you're worthless. Chicken is hard, you know, big, big lip, big eye. Like you are, you are, you are pick a nanny if you, if you eat fried chicken. So this was just constantly thrust into the minds of everybody. Um, and, and, and it comes to a point where, where we are today, where, uh, that just drilled over and over again. And then later on, we be, you know, when we were, um, sort of, could dine out, we sort of, you know, no people don't eat chicken legs at fine dining restaurants, most people uh, now, and they didn't. It was deemed as lowbrow food. It was, you know, holding a bone, I think across many cultures is, well, in fine dining in European culture, I shouldn't say that. Holding a bone, a piece of meat in, in many different dining establishments means that it's not civilized dining, right? So holding a fried chicken bone and eating it is also lowest of the low, can be seen that way. So I think that's why it's been marketed in our heads as lowbrow food. Uh, and the, the reason I believe is because it's actually a powerful thing. And if they knew that we were using, which they did, we were using this thing to be so powerful and economically empower ourselves that it, it could actually help us with our freedom and our liberation. And uh, that, that was not in the best interest of, um, you know, uh, oppressors. I mean, and I have to say, that's one thing, of course, not that history is meant to be understood, but one thing that I never actually got, because it's just like, you know, the slave owners would then give the enslaved, like, the, the chicken or their leftover chicken. But it's like, y'all were eating fried chicken, too. So how are we trying to, like, if anything, you want, again, wanted the Black people to cook the fried chicken for you. 
because like we do with everything, we do it well, you know? <laughs> um, so it's just like, it's like make it make sense. Um, because I know they were yeah. even like opening like Coons Chicken branded restaurants where they could go and, you know, I guess yeah. feel as though they're on a high horse by having black people cook the chicken. But it's crazy because that actually wasn't the case because black people weren't even allowed to cook the chicken at that particular time. So right. it was just like this fool's concept of like, again, trying to degrade black people when it's like you're sharing in the same same opportunities of like eating chicken at that particular time. Yeah. Yeah, you, you raised some good points, man. And you you hitting it right on the on the head. And I, I think you have a good grasp of, of the situation. And 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 I'll I'll just piggyback on that real quick. Is that you know we were taught incorrectly. Obviously we were taught by a system that didn't really want us to learn in large part um, these powerful parts of our history. So when I think about fried chicken, uh, one, it, it, it was a, it, it's hard to make. People think, oh, fried chicken, it gets, it gets, it's like the dirty stepchild of, uh, of unhealthy. When anybody says, oh, a black person's unhealthy, well, you can't eat fried chicken. It's just like, oh, that's the reason why people are unhealthy in this country. And when we think back, fried chicken was really hard to make, right? You had to slaughter a bird. It wasn't, and it wasn't economical, right? Families weren't. You had to kill a bird, you know, to, you had to kill a bird. You weren't doing that two, three nights a week. You had to kill it, boil it in hot water, get the feathers off, scald mm -hmm. it, and then cook two pieces per person. We didn't even eat that way. It was more of a celebratory dish that was consumed sometimes in the spring, in the summer, Sunday, didn't like a celebration, right? Um, and, 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 and then when I think about the seasonings and the technique, do you know how, you know how badass you got to be? For to to deep fry over open fire like our ancestors right. were like, bruh, I, I'm a bad man, but I ain't that like I haven't achieved those levels. You know what I'm saying? I've been to Jamaica, where I've seen them frying fish and lobster right off the ocean over open fire on, in a in a cauldron. That's badass cooking right there. Yeah, I got a thermometer. You know what I mean? I got modern technology. You know, so so when I think about fried chicken and I think about the mishistory. Right, the mystery. <laughs> I think about. I I, I want to say, okay, well, let's relearn this thing. Like, how can I use this, and not just to eat a bunch of fried chicken every day, but to understand we came from geniuses that 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 created this thing out of, I mean, insane situation, insane circumstances. So that's what I lean into. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and not again. I just go goes back to say that's what we do best. We create something from nothing all the time, and we continue to do that flawlessly. So yes, again, look, cheers, cheers to us on that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Now I want to talk about uh, again soul food. Like, where does the term soul food come from? And then is soul food different from southern food? Man, that's, that's, you, you're asking the great questions, bro. You're asking the great questions. And I, I'll say this. Um, I think there's a, there's a contemporary sort of definition of, 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 of a more modern definition of soul food that we all accept. It came around as a result of the, I think, is the, of the, like the, the, the Black Power Movement. Um, and soul food was meant to symbolize, you know, the way we know it now, soul food is you know, the, the common plate, the fried chicken, the collard greens, the mashed potatoes, the rice and gravy. Um, 
and it's it's black food, right? It's like the black food from the you know the meat, the meat and three. I think there are many different definitions of it. Um, and southern food, you know, these terms are tricky because they they mean so many different things to many different people, and that's cool. But southern food is sort of the everything else, um, or or you know below the Mason Dixon line. So I I, I use those terms carefully. Uh, but um, it, it's, uh, I think the difference is soul food for some people is, mean to, is meant to define black food in a negative sense. Um, and we even do it ourselves. And Southern food is uh, maybe a way to so-called elevate it or, or make it nice to consume or, or excluding those black portions. But I want to introduce something that I've been thinking about recently uh, as it relates to soul food. So we, I've been doing research, and this is an internal project um, on what my nature was, uh, or you know, how I got here, right? Before we were interrupted by slavery. And one of the things that, this is not recent for me, but one of the things that's been evident throughout my life is that we have always been a spiritual people we believe that God is in everything. And whatever you call God or something bigger than yourself, as my mother would say, something larger than yourself, right? So whatever you call that thing, him, her, that it encompasses everything. It is in everything. And that's largely what we believed before we were interrupted. Not to say we aren't a godly people now, but the reason why I bring that up here because when I think about soul food, one of my mentors, Chef T, said to me a long time ago, he was like, everything's soul food. <laughs> and I, I think about, we have the food, chefs, we got the technique, we all talk about ingredients, we travel, we watch shows, we want to dine out. But I wonder where, as I return and try to do more internal research, is how, how does the soul, how does the spirit inform the food? And what I mean by that is, my grandmother, my mother, they weren't trying to be, and they're not chefs, right? My grandfather owned a restaurant. They weren't trying to be on the cover of Nobody magazine. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying it's, it's, not, it's not. But one of the things that sustained us was our sense of community, our sense of this food as a tool to, to get us forward, right? And so when I think of soul food, I question myself, and this is me, like, where is my spirit in this chicken? Where is my soul? What am I doing mm. with this? So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning back and I'm trying to re-sort of center that term, soul food, right? I know it came about in the 60s and 70s. I think it got popular, but I, I don't want to redefine it for anybody. But for, for me, I'm trying to really put the soul back into the food in a different sort of way. Got it. And so I, in doing so, how do you use like your recipes to kind of tell the stories of the Black experience? That's a good question. Um, I think, you know, we have, we're meant to evolve everything, right? Um, but, you know, I, I use my recipes or, or old recipes, you know, to add my spin or my, my take on things. And I believe that, um, that that's our duty, as a matter of fact. So I just try to be as honest. I try to get informed as much as possible about you know, I talked to some of my mentors and some of the people that guide me, where it came from, 
like what what um, Dr. Sunyata Amen, who's um, the CEO of Calabash Tea and Tonic in DC. Love her. <laughs> she's incredible, and you know she will break down the herb like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. or, or so talking about <laughs> just uh, how an herb or spice has been used historically for thousands of years, where it came from, and then uh, its properties now. Um, so, so I look at a recipe and then try to figure out like, okay, what's, how can I, what can I do with it today? In, in flavor, of course, but also in purpose. So yeah, that's, that's sort of how I approach it. Okay. And how important do you believe it is for black chefs to be represented in all cuisines and not just like the traditional Southern or again, soul food, depending on how someone may choose to define it? I, I think it's important, really important for black chefs to be represented in all cuisines. And, and, and what I mean by that is black chefs should be, we, we go wherever we want. Right. And this is this is obviously true for anybody. I think it's challenging when we try to enter in spaces that aren't black food, because we sort of, you know, I've known too many black chefs. I mean, too many of my, of my that it's just like, oh, you don't cook. You know, I wanted to see, you know, people say fried chicken. These cats would be like, oh, fried chicken. Um, you know, whether it be Italian, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, Timothy Dean is one of my, you know, icons, uh, one of my idols. Uh, you know, he was raised under, you know, some of the most iconic French chefs that we've known in general, but definitely in the D.C. area, in um, um, Jean-Louis and uh, Michel Richard. And so when you got this dude from PG coming in, you know, in this very white space cooking this French food, it was very weird for people. And, and uh, you know, he had some roadblocks. Mm -hmm. But, but it's, to answer your question, it's really important and I feel like we just got to do us, right? We got to do us. And we always, the game ain't changed. We got to work hard twice, two, three times as hard. But I want to encourage people to enter in those spaces and stop worrying about, you, I'm a black chef cooking black food, so-called black food. And and I still get, like, it's going to be barriers no matter what. So my advice is just do you and cook where your heart is telling you to go. But it, but But we can't let those people that say we don't belong stop us if, if it's Russian, Russian food, uh, 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 Polish food, or, uh, you know, Italian, whatever it is, or wherever you want to go, like, just, you got to do you. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, for sure. And I'll say, leading to my next question, do you think that um, embracing Black food also means embracing some of the negative trauma that's associated with Black food? What do you mean? I mean, just look at the history of, you know, again, dealing with the slave owners, it's like being handed down to us. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned religion earlier. So all of that is like compacted into food. Mm -hmm. As we know, like food is this universal language. So by embracing, again, black food as we know it, does that mean kind of like embracing everything else that came that um, came with it? Um, you know, that that's a really good question. Uh, and, and I think this is part of my mission. You, I don't think you can take the good without the trauma or at least recognizing it. Um, and I think that's a part of it, 
right? That that's a part of the healing is understanding it. You know, everybody doesn't have to be, you know, doesn't have to roll like I roll. I roll, I go hard. You know, I enter in spaces and I'm getting older. I ain't at, I ain't at you know, old uncle stage where I'm going to say any damn thing. You know what I mean? But I'm going to get there in about 20, 20 25 years. I'm going to say whatever. The first thing that comes to my mind. But, but right now, I do enter into spaces my full self. And I am, I'm not afraid to be confrontational and, and to, to be uncomfortable and to make people uncomfortable. Because that's a part of our existence here. We're going to make some real change in this country, but definitely in this restaurant industry. We got to say some uncomfortable shit. And many people just want to go along and get along and get to the bag without, you know, upsetting the apple cart. I'm going a, I'm to a flip that and suck over if I have to. So you don't have to be like, you know, all out front. I believe there's a diff, there can be a different approach. So many of our, our incredible black chefs that are doing some phenomenal work in, in this country and around are not... Um, as out front as some of us are, and that's fine. But I do believe you have to understand in cuisine and in general how we got here, mm -hmm. right? There are many of our brothers and sisters that are fighting from within the system and they, they people wouldn't know, and I'm just talking about black folks at this point, people wouldn't know that they are addressing the trauma and understand it because they're in these places that you just have no idea. So we, we gotta, like, just because you, you know, again, I use it to me, it's because I'm cooking soul food and I talk about black food, uh, doesn't, that's not the only way to do it. But I, to, to answer your question pointedly, I do think you have to embrace it all in some way. Don't just take the food, because that's such a small part of it. And with that being said, what do you think um, the next generation of Black chefs should contribute to the culinary world? Mm. I, I think that the next gen just has to do what's in their spirit, man. That, that's my hope. Let me say that. I, I don't want to, you know, I know a lot of, of people before me. I mean, as I look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all the all the all of the stuff he'd been saying about LeBron. And just like, dude, you know, my homie posted in the group chat the other day, he was like, he's becoming that old dude that is just like, you know, that old, don't step on my lawn, Bama, from the neighborhood. And it's just like, Shalem, like, let me live. Like, I'm trying out here. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I look at a lot of youngins and I'm, you know, I'm 45 and I, so I look at the 20-somethings, even 30-somethings and, I could pick them apart because I'm a chef and, I'm, you know, that's what we do. We scrutinize stuff, right? We pick stuff apart. And, and that's fine, some of the stuff. But, but what I want for you, for everybody, is for you to do what was, is, I want you to be great. That's it. That's my wish. Um, so I don't want to be like some of the OGs where they just do it. They ain't doing this and they, you know, I, I'm, that's not me, bro. Uh, what I wish for the next generation is within our culture is to do what you want to do. And, and, and when you were 12 years old, when you were 16, when you first got into the game, don't be ashamed. Uh, of course, you're going to have to adjust. And I don't want to use the word compromise, but depending upon what circle you want to play in, of course, you're going to have to adjust and figure things out. 
but don't be what somebody else is telling you to be. You know, and then whether that, I'm not trying to tell you what to be, but I want these youngers to be great. Like, be great, because you're going to get to 40, 50 years old, and you're going to realize they don't want you. You know, you, you did it. I know too many chefs that went for the stars and, and was cleaned up and, and did it the way that they said, and they, and they hung out to dry. They did it the right way. You don't want to be 90 years old. I wish I would have. Bro, if you want to be a TikTok star cooking spaghetti, throwing it at the wall, or whatever. If that's what God put in you, do what God told you to do. That's what I want for you. And, and, and I hope that this is the other thing I want for, for us is to bridge that gap. Right. I feel like black people in general, but definitely in this industry, you know, doing what you're doing, reaching out and we should be working together because we're stronger together than we are apart. Right. As an old African principle is like, you know, I am because we are. So I, I wish that they are great and uh, and, and we work together. Gotcha. I like that. OK, so we are going to take a moment just to kind of like break away from the conversation because we hit on some hard hitting things. Um, and because I do like to always incorporate some type of like fun activity. So we'll just do like a quick little um, <laughs> little round of like some quick fire questions, which I like to call the Hunger Games. Okay, and so what that is going to consist of are me just asking you some food-related questions, Rock. Um, and then coming up, we also have the Q&A sec um, section yet next. So if you all want to um, just go ahead and put your questions um, in the, uh, the qu by using the question feature, which is the little uh, question mark icon down below, and we'll get to those next. But before we do that, are you ready to play the Hunger Games, huh? In real life? We feel like we're playing them already. No, 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 yeah. no. This is my version, so don't worry. It's not getting that bad. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, I'm going to start the game. So. Is that a timer? Why? Is that a ticking timer? I feel like a bomb's going to blow up. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, but don't worry. It's not time. That's right. just for dramatic effect. <laughs> White meat or dark meat chicken? Dark meat. Okay. I like that. Same here. Regular... Or fried hard? Regular. Okay. Ooh, controversial. Sugar or salt in your grits? Oh my God, Mr. Fantastic. Salt. He just joined me. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. No, but you know what? No, that's me. Um, and I feel like I'm in the minority on that one. Well, me, one, I'm just like a fat kid. So I put sugar and salt Hell. in my grits. Along with butter and hot sauce and cheese. Oh my! God. <laughs> we got this. Is gonna be. I'm. We look. I'm working on a game show. A do you know black people game show? And we gonna. We gonna. I. I we gonna have to. Somebody gonna have to fight over this issue. This is really controversial. Yeah, it's a real thing, and I see in the comments. There we go. Noel sugar, but I do see a lot of salt. I feel like I'm always in the minority on that one. Okay, the next question. What one dish is Chef Harper bringing to the family cookout, but you can't say fried chicken? Okay, all right. So I'm bringing, damn, you stumped me. Um, potato salad. Potato salad? Yeah, I'm going hard. I'm going hard okay. in the paint. I, I like to bring iconic things to the, to the cookout because I, I'm going, like, I want somebody to say, what's the question? Who made the potato salad? So, either, and I want people to say it's great, hopefully, the aunties. And I'm 
pretty sure it's safe to say there are no raisins in your potato salad. Oh, hell no. No. <laughs> no, no. Not unless I don't like the people. Okay. Don't like the people. Let's see. You're from the DMV. Are you doing a half smoke or chicken wings and mumble sauce? Ooh, that's tough. That's tough. Look, I'm gonna say that I'm gonna give some love to my to the Ali family. I'm gonna do a half smoke for Vince. Okay. There we go. Let's see. Waffles or pancakes? Oh my God. Now you really stumping me. <laughs> um damn. Pancakes. Pancakes. Okay, we'll take that. <laughs> um, let's see. Cake or pie? Cake. Okay. Cake, Brussels. cake, cake. Cake. Final answer? Okay. And then Brussels sprouts or cauliflower? Brussels. All right. And then last, if you could prepare a meal for anyone, who would it be? And they can be dead or alive. Jesus. <laughs> All right. That's it. You did the hunger game. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I feel like a meal with Jesus would be. People say all these like, but Jesus would. Can you imagine having? I mean, literally having dinner or a piece of fried chicken with Jesus. Like, Jesus, what's that? Like, talk to me. I mean, that's got to be insightful, like for sure. <laughs> yes. Okay, now let's get into some of these questions. Oh wait, I do want to know, uh, what would you make Jesus? <laughs> I, I, eat, I mean, I would make them fried chicken. Like, it's not even, that's my that's my dish, but it, easy. Nobody cooked fried chicken for Jesus before that I know it's not in the huh? Bible, so. It's not documented, so you could be the, the first for sure. Jesus was a brother. So. <laughs> okay, let me see. I'm going to get into some of the questions I'm gonna get here. In I'm going to get in trouble for all that, but it's all good. You are good. Let's see. So the first one, let me start actually from the bottom. Why do you think the black community has been so successful in passing down recipes down to each generation? Why they have been? Yes. Um, that's a good question. And and I like or, the way I mean you may feel they haven't been. So uh, well, I, th I think it depends. It's a very personal experience, but I think we have been for a number of reasons. We are a as displayed here, we are a uh, verbal storytelling community and our you know when i ask my mother about some food it comes with a story right it's not just recipes it comes with a story um saying so we love stories we love telling them we love receiving them so i think it's beautiful when we pass down it's very very important and we think about the historical context we weren't allowed to read we weren't allowed to write we were erased on purpose because when you understand your root and your power you cannot be enslaved so we, we that had to be erased. So I think that we realized that. So we had to become so audible and we had to figure out a way to tell stories to keep our legacies and power alive without paper, pen and paper out in the open. So I, I think our ancestors were way smarter than they weren't just some lowly, simple minded, you know, slaves that we, we were taught they were. Uh, I think they realize that we have to pass down uh, these traditions one way or the other. Okay, wait. I think, I, am I back? I think I went out for a minute. You back, you back. Okay. You back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, Instagram being a little funky with me today, but, but we working with it. <laughs> 
Um, so let me see. I'm going to go to the next question. I see we got quite a few, but I also want to be conscious of time. So I'm just going to jump around. As some of us are conscious of what we are eating, what are some classic Black dishes that we can recreate with a healthy flair? So that's a great question. Um, I, I don't use the word healthy in terms of we got to be careful. And this is me. I understand why you're asking. I don't juxtapose our food with directly with healthy. Because one of the things that we've been taught and we've learned is that it is inherently unhealthy. So we need to make it healthy. Uh, as I look at my decolonize your tongue uh, uh, hanging right there from Calabash. So I, I, I don't, I understand the question. Um, and I, I'll give some tips on, in general, how we can make our kitchens and dishes uh, healthier. Um, but but I, I don't pose the question as it's unhealthy. Fried fish is not inherently unhealthy, right? Fried catfish or whiting is not unhealthy. What it is, is unhealthy is the habit of consuming it often and in large amounts, right, with bad products. And so that's what's unhealthy. But let's just say, for the context of your um, of your uh, uh, question is I like to incorporate better products into the pantry. Okay. So when we're making, um, you know, my mother and I just had this conversation and this is, this is not going to like, so we were talking about uh, eggs and my eggs cost she, like $7 a dozen. And she was like, that's crazy. And she said she had made a boiled egg the other day. She's staying with me and it tastes better. She said, this, this egg, I, you know, I didn't realize it tastes better. It was et cetera and so forth. And I explained to her, oh, those eggs you get are, you know, from the regular store that are $1 a dozen. Here's why they're so cheap. And here's why they don't taste like nothing. So I'm not saying replace the habit, but when you pay six, $7 for a dozen of eggs, and this meat, mm -hmm. I'm saying, I think twice before I eat four scrambled eggs, right? I think twice. It, because that's not a cheap egg. I'm not cheap, but the, so the point is this, if have less, use better quality ingredients, upgrade your salt, right? From the Morton's iodized salt with all of that chemical in it Gross. to a gray, a pink Himalayan, or even a kosher salt, right? So take out those chemicals, uh, upgrade your egg is one, is one way, um, uh, oils, Oils, this is something that, that goes back to Queen Mothers. We don't have conditioners and chemicals and preservatives in our oils. Uh, and those things lead to, I don't want to get super deep and technical. Mm -hmm. A lot of these chemicals lead to other inflammatory sort of stressors in our lives, which lead to other uh, manifestations of, uh, uh, of, of unhealthy, so to speak. So... Again, I don't want to get all, you know, super deep in it. But to answer the question, I believe in upgrading your pantry, you know, once a month. I used to do it like once a month. I would just swap out or when I would buy something or, or organic or I would buy a new oil, grapeseed oil, sunflower seeds, something with, you know, uh, or, or, or the right salmon. I would make salmon cakes, but I would buy that really good, you know, $8 a can salmon. Um, and I would do that once a month because that's all I could afford or even if it's a dozen eggs. So that's what I encourage. If you're making mac and cheese, for instance, try, try to use a, a really good cheese and take out some of the American or the pasteurized cheese mm 
use a better uh, milk or maybe switch out to a, a, a plant-based milk. Uh, just a little change in the awareness of your habits can go a long way. So um, that's all I got. Somebody said coochie cake. What's that? Um, wait, coochie cakes? <laughs> I missed that. I don't know what that is, but <laughs> of course, Fruity Guru with her um all right, here we go. Thank you, G. Thank you, Glenda. <laughs> oh, here's a, another good one. Um, how are you changing the narrative that Black-owned businesses deliver or can sometimes deliver low-quality service? Oh, we just we just deliver excellent service. Oh, period. Just like that. Every, every time. I value, and it's, I, I, I answer this quickly because I know you got a lot of questions. And this is to my chefs, to my Black-owned businesses. There's a brother that came in not too long ago, right? We, we sometimes get mad at us. This brother came in. He was, the, the machine wasn't working. Having problems with his credit card. And he started cussing. He was like, this MF and, you know, this MF and this and that MF and that. So he wasn't cussing her out. But he was cussing in the way that sometimes we cuss. There are many cultures, all cultures, I want to say, have the same sort of language, right? Or, or they have this, not, not actual language, but you understand how your people are. One thing I will never do, and I've learned this in working in black spaces, I know my people. And no matter what, this guy, he was cussing. He, he had about two teeth in his mouth, but he's a guest. And if my man was, had a three-piece suit on, stepped out of a Bentley, and had you know, uh, uh, you know, a fresh grill, it don't matter. He's, he's a guest. So my point is, I said, brother, I got you. I understand your frustration. But you ain't got to be cursing like that. Come on now. My man backed down. He de-escalated. He was like, you're right. My bad. It's just, come on now. Y'all got to get this together. I said, I know. My bad. My bad. I spoke the language. And I right. looked at him the same way I would anybody else. So I say that to say this. We debunk by simply offering excellent service to everyone. I don't care what you got. When you come to that door, you're a guest. When you drop off deliveries as a vendor, you're a guest. When I call you uh, uh, as a vendor, everybody's a guest and that's how the ritz Carlton does it that's how apple does it like all of these great so-called greats disney does it this is our business excellent service so that's how we debunk it and we just deliver and and when people give me one star y'all can look at my google people give me horrible reviews i respond the way my grandmother who was full of grace and was a school teacher for 40 years i respond because that's got to do with me and us in the way that she would. So that's how we debunk it. Offer excellent service no matter what. Got it. Um, and just to break in, apparently, uh, coochie cakes are just <laughs> So there we go. There we go. Yo, you Thank killing you. with the, you killing with the, uh, with the sound effects. I love it. And that's, that would be... That is, that's not the first thing that came to mind when, when, I, when I read that, but I, we're going to roll with it, Foodie <laughs> Okay, let's see. One of the other. Okay, there we go. All right. We're going to try, hopefully we get it right. I'm actually moving now, so that's good. <laughs> yes, you move. Okay. Got it.
So I'm sorry, you can actually just pick up where you left off. Like I said, I'll, I'll put everything all together. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how much you got, but a, a professional influence for me, um, there have been so many, but Chef T, uh, his name is Chef Terrell Danley, and he's actually pursuing his, I think he's pursuing his PhD right now. He was always an educator. He's been a chef. He's been a teacher and a leader. He's a man of faith, and he's been there for me for over 20 years. And I think when we were talking about generational connections, um, you know, and bridging this gap, I look back and I was hardheaded. I didn't always listen to Chef T when I thought I was hot stuff. Um, but, you know, whenever I call, no matter what the year is, he's been there for me. Um, and, and he still continues to be there for me to this day. So uh, I, I got, I'm going to call my brother tonight and tell him how much I love him. But uh, Chef Terrell Danley, who's a, an accomplished chef in Washington, D.C., and uh, continues to be a leader. And uh, he, he, he would be it for me. Got it. That's good to know about that. Um, look, before Instagram cuts us off again, <laughs> like, I'm gonna go ahead and try to like close things out. So again, one of the major parts of the show is just to always leave some type of food for thought. Um, so just based on what we've discussed here today, what would be your food for thought or your, um, your takeaways from today's conversation? Mm. Uh, takeaways from today, I, I want to. I'm going to leave everybody with our um, uh, our. Uh, I'm sorry, our mission at Queen Mothers, which is um, serve smiles, right? So serve smiles means you know how can we lift one another up and, and just make somebody feel good today and just leave with that honor culture, right? You talked about you asked a great question earlier, you know all of it embrace all of it and honor it, right? Just respect it and appreciate it, all of your culture. So that means finding out and then, you know, carrying that with you uh, and building community, which you are doing tonight. And I'm so grateful. I am really grateful that you've reached out, you've supported. You can't, I didn't tell everybody that you can't, I can't run a corner, I'm busy as hell. And I think we were short staffed in the back. So I'm food running. I go out there and I see you at the, at the counter. And, uh, and, and, and that means a lot to, to me and to other creators. Um, so, so building community. Uh, so honoring culture, serving smiles, and building community, I think, are my takeaways. And I hope that others uh, can join us in that. Got it. There we go. <laughs> Let's take that away, people. Um, so again, before Instagram cuts us off again, I just want to say uh, just thank you for your time today and joining me in this discussion. Um, certainly, all the viewers out there, let them know where they can follow you and continue to support your brand. Yes. So I'm right here. Obviously, you know where to find me on Instagram. Um, we're on Facebook at Rock Harper and, and Queen Mothers DC. And the website is Queen Mother Cooks. We have some very, very, I mean, God has been showing off for a brother and for the culture. So we got some really, really exciting news coming out. Go to queenmothercooks.com and please um, subscribe. But we just, this summer is just going to be uh, such a blessed summer. So I, I, I'm just grateful that you would have me here. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Yeah, thank you, thank you, and I'm again grateful to have you here again. I, I really appreciate your time and um and just having this conversation with me today.
Um, so also, you guys heard Rock. Follow him on all the social media channels. Please be sure to follow me. I'm on um, Instagram, of course, Facebook, YouTube. Um, and since we've had um, a few kind of like hiccups, I blame Instagram. But um, uh, this conversation will be reposted on my feed, and then it'll also be I'll piece all of it together. Um, the increments that we have um, on YouTube, so you um, you can catch it there as well. And I think lastly, I always say if you know anybody um, who's a small business owner in the food and beverage industry who would like to be featured on Food for Thought, feel free to send them my information, just slide in my DMs, and we'll try to coordinate and make that happen. Um, and speaking of, the next Food for Thought is actually scheduled to be April the 27th, where I'll be interviewing Carlene Goodrich, and she is a Baltimore-based chef um, with Liberian Heritage who owns the Lemonade Beverage Boutique. So keep a watch out for that one. I'll um, be posting more information about it as the time comes nearer. And so with that being said, again, Chef Rock Parker, thank you so much for joining me today. And until next time, guys, ciao. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you.